1: It was over, it said silence is strength And I agree with his point of view And the greater the length, while the greater the strength The more time I've got for you There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting Too much noise altogether In silence is strength and peace and space Imagine Silent forever Hi, this is Dr. Joey, and welcome to our first pop-up podcast, The Penis Project and All Things pee in Men's Health. Now, today's first episode is all about prostate cancer, and every year internationally, September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. So it made great sense for Melissa and I to first introduce our very first episodes in the month of Prostate Cancer Awareness. Today we're going to have a chat to Phil who went through prostate cancer recently as a fairly young patient. The topics covered today are going to include consonants, sexual function, the psychological impacts of his diagnosis and his physical recovery, back to work and back to doing everything uh, as normally as he would like to. The Penis Project is sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit organisation in Western Australia. The organisation was established in 2012 by myself in an effort to gain a community program that any man diagnosed with prostate cancer could join into. where We felt comfortable and safe as he we went through the rehabilitation and preparation for any treatment required for prostate cancer. If you want to know more about PROST, simply go to www.prost.com.au Meanwhile... All further links we added into our show notes at the completion of this podcast. And we welcome you to join our mailing list. Meanwhile, it's time to meet Phil. It's there underneath all the crap that we speak, just gotta put these phones down. Now your comfort zone, find your stuff on the phone from first life to sleep at Your friends will still know you exist. So hi Phil. How are
0: you going today? Yeah, so, good, thanks. A bit
2: nervous about this. <laughs>
0: That's good. So, Joe and I are here today. We want to talk to you about your experience with prostate cancer and how you've gone. So, you're 53 years of age, which is pretty young to be diagnosed with prostate cancer, and you're about five months post-op. So, I was just if we could start off by telling us what happened and how you found out and what. Okay. Well,
2: through work, we had a stop for safety day, and um, this old guy, mid 70s, came and gave a talk about prostate cancer at work and during that discussion he said there'd be so many of you here probably got it and I was a scaremonger but I went to my doctor and had some various different blood tests which all came back good but uh, their PSA result came back high initial result was I believe 4.7 so then we had another one three weeks later and to 5.1 at that point then I got referred to the urologist so mm-hmm. I had an MRI scan. This was just before Christmas last year. Yeah. MRI scan came back. Nothing alarming, but um, prostate was slightly enlarged. So the urologist said that at this point, I had, the next step was for a biopsy. Mm-hmm. So I had the biopsy in uh, mid-January, I think it was. And uh, that came back, um, 10, well, allegedly 10% cancerous cells. Yeah. So that, at that point, then it was the decision about what was I going to do? Was I going to have a a radical robotic prostatectomy or um, radiotherapy. Mm-hmm. So I, cho- I decided to go for the for the surgery uh, on the basis I'd already had kids and I really didn't feel comfortable with potentially having a ticking time bomb inside me.
0: Yeah, that's, and what about, um, I'm always fascinated, people always tell me that something happens to their ejaculate after they had a biopsy that they often weren't expecting. Something it happens to their sperm after they've had a biopsy that they're not expecting. Did that happen to you? no. No. Oh,
2: yes it did. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot. Yes, um yes, it was um well, like a bit red.
0: <laughs> and were you shocked or did we expect it? No,
2: I was expecting it because I was I was pre-warned. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah. yeah. So sorry. So go on. So yeah. you had the biopsy. So I had
2: the biopsy and then I was called called back uh, by the surgeon and and it basically said look, you know these are your choices and so I, as I said i decided to have the the uh, radical robotic prostatectomy and a friend of mine he'd gone through the same experience about a year before and he used the same surgeon and so, you know, thankfully i was able to talk to someone about this and it made me feel a bit better that i knew someone quite you know it was quite close that uh, I, could, I was able to have a conversation with mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um so then on the 31st of march i think it was i was, was it 30th of march i can't remember the date 30th. Mm-hmm. 30th of march i i went in for my surgery this is right in the middle of COVID. I was kind of worried about whether I was actually going to be able to get into hospital and have the operation. Mm. Thankfully, I was, and everything went well. I was in and out. I came in in the morning, and I went I went home the following morning.
0: And so we're going to talk to you a bit more in detail about your continence, because that's one of the main things men worry about with prostate cancer treatment and your sexual function. But... When you were in the like initial stages of finding out, did anybody stick their finger up your bum? Because that's a lot of the reasons why people don't get checked.
2: <laughs> yes, the doctor did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was that early on in the stage? That was after
2: the second PSA.
0: And your GP or your urologist? My GP. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, but the first initial test, it was no finger up the bum, just a blood test?
2: Just a blood test, yeah. Yeah,
0: okay, good. Yeah, and then
2: yeah. The, and then he said, like, maybe, um, you know, he asked, am I a king cyclist? And I said, well, I cycle, but I'm not mad king. Yep. he said sometimes that can elevate you know, the, the the PSA levels. Yep. And he said, maybe you've got a urine infection, so we'll have another test in three weeks' time and the urine checkup, check at the same time. And there was no urine infection, and the PSA had gone up a little bit.
0: Yeah, okay. And so... The initial stage of your light like, journey, your pre-op, you would have. But the urologist referred you off to Joe to talk about your um, your continence and how to deal with that. So we'll get Joe's going to talk to you a bit about that now.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I met Joe seven weeks pre-op to work on my pelvic floor, which I thought was just a thing for ladies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, Phil, thank you so much for um, sharing your whole story with us today. So I was delighted to meet Phil and I met Phil seven weeks before his uh, booked surgery for the robotic procedure and in preparation for um, today's presentation I went back through all of uh, Phil's notes from the time I met him and I can only say that Phil actually represents the perfect patient and I say this because if we get time to actually prepare patients using a whole range of physiotherapy methods before their surgery when we get much quicker recovery. And when I started working in this field about 15 years ago, patients were only seen post-operatively. So um, we quickly learned that those guys who were having the opportunity to do a bit of a lead in time, losing weight, getting their pelvic floor stronger, then they were doing most of the necessary work before there was even a problem. Because we do anticipate that every man, if they have surgery, will become incontinent and impotent so uh, it's a pretty rough deal men are usually traveling along quite nicely minding their own business they have this random blood test and all of a sudden freak show they get whammed slam dunked with (laughs) okay you've got cancer you don't have any symptoms we can fix it because we've caught it early but the price you're going to pay for that is to be incontinent and lose your penile function erectile dysfunction so you can imagine most men are pretty distraught confused and distressed when they have this however along comes physiotherapy fortunately within hopefully a week or so of diagnosis um, we can start getting patients prepped so most patients actually have um, to have a six-week gap between their prostate biopsy and the surgery itself just to let things settle down such as the bleeding um, with any ejaculation Uh, so phil comes in to see me uh, pretty much the 5th of february just a week or so after his final diagnosis and we had a seven week preparation. Phil pre- basically went through a pre-operative uh, assessment with me on that day we just checked in with what his life normal activities were all about for work and fitness. I really wanna know about their physical activity and what, what they like to do. And Phil talked to me about the fact that he liked to walk most days of the week, about 8,000 steps per day. And he was swimming nightly up to one kilometer. So he was a really fit man already. He was encouraged through the surgeon, however, for Phil to go along to um, a dietitian to lose some weight because this helps with the nerve sparing and that sexual function. The pelvic floor is basically something, as Phil's already mentioned, he didn't really know about at all. And most men that I meet on the very first day think, A, that it's women's business, and B, that they're going to have to get down on the ground and start doing some sit-ups. But I tell them they won't be needing their joggers in their shorts when they come rolling in we then do a thorough assessment of what their bladder function bowel function and sexual function is like currently or normally and then we look at all the things that we might be able to um, help with so phil how did you find that first pre-operative physiotherapy session you can be completely honest
2: <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't really sure what i was what i was letting myself in for and and then talking about pelvic floor exercise i didn't even know how i was going to do that and I'd, I and I wasn't even sure how they, you were gonna know that I, I was doing the right thing until you put me on the
1: um, ultrasound on the shot. ultrasound,
2: and then I cut, it all clicked, and I got oh okay, I will get it now. So I could see what I was doing and the reaction to my pelvic floor, and so therefore I knew what what uh, sensation I had to have inside to make the the pelvic floor work correctly. So th- th- that was a um, kind of eye opener for me as, as well, and and it, and it was it was in that time, I could I knew I was doing the right thing. Yeah. And and then you put and then you over over time you went on t- timing me and how long I could hold in my pelvic floor for and that kind of thing. So the endurance and then the rapid response in case I was coughing and sneezing. Yep. So um, I was able to hold it for a minute quite comfortably. And I can I got down to I think I was we timed it about five, five point. Points. You did
1: ten, 10 quick pelvic floor contractions in five point five six seconds. That's about as quick as you can get. Um,
2: yeah. So. Yeah, I was so I've been working on that. Obviously, the seven weeks pre-op, yep. and um, and obviously after the operation. I mean, I did did leak a bit after the catheter was taken out, but then eventually it all started to settle down. And I'm here now, nearly five months post-op, and I, I, I still have a little bit of leakage, but I'm I'm dry at night, yep. and um, I'm only having to wear a shield, which mm-hmm. is just a very tiny um, guard inside your underwear. Yep. Um, and that just really, if, if sometimes if I get hay fever, so I, I sneeze a bit. And have a bit
1: of a sneezing attack. I have
2: a sneezing attack, and if I'm not careful and not thinking about it, then I might yep. I might leak. Yeah.
1: Great. So just on what Phil mentioned about the way that we assessed his pelvic floor in that very first appointment, well, when I first started working in this field in two thousand and five, traditionally we were doing what was called the per rectal or finger up the bottom test again, and at the time, um, I thought, well, it's not really fair that men have to go through this. Um, tests that they really don't enjoy receiving when they don't have a prostate anymore so fortunately the real-time ultrasound um, was becoming available and so modern technology (laughs) was improving and we were able to actually apply the ultrasound on the outside of um, Phil's abdomen and, and look and get that visual feedback while we were actually teaching him pelvic floor and because it's actually quite complex and just about every guy says to me a they don't know a pelvic floor and b they don't even know they have one um, that having that visual feedback has been like a deal breaker in actual fact so I simply put this on um, guys bellies and say just relax your belly relax your buttock and let's just gently think of what it's like to be stopping the flow or holding on to the urine and just simply think of drawing the testes up in the penis in or as I commonly refer to it the nuts to guts exercise so because when I started working in this field in 2005, we were doing um, things pre-operatively, sorry, post-operatively and finding men were taking a long time to get better, we also found that um, these ultrasound tests were something that we could do. So I sort of played around with those and devised and that's what Phil was mentioning. We we like our patients to do the pelvic floor training in standing mostly and I'm pleased to say I've had research now saying that's the best position to present um to men from the outset, because that's a position they're going to tend to leak in with any movement or coughing, sneezing, being on their feet for longer periods of time. As Phil's mentioned, he still sneezes and gets a bit of a leak, but we're going to see if we can um, chat about that a little bit more. Overall, though, the pelvic floor, if we do a number of sets per day in both fast and slow action, so usually we do a rapid 10 as quick as we can, and we do a holding 10 where we hold for up to 10 seconds with an equal rest time times 10 so a typical set is 10 quick and 10 slow each set takes about three minutes and i like my patients to do a five to six sets per day phil how onerous was that that target
2: uh, not onerous the big, big, biggest thing for me was actually remembering to do it yeah not not because i wasn't thinking about it so now I, I have a routine it's not always when i'm standing up but if i'm at a set of traffic lights i uh, know i'll do i'll hold it for the duration of the red light things like that just just as a m- memory prompt because I, I don't always remember to do it when i'm standing up Yep. So I, I, and I do try and work. I've got a workstation where I can stand and work. So when I'm doing that, sometimes i oh, hang on, my pelvic floor.
0: Great. So you're still pelvic floor aware? Yeah. And is this something, Joe, that Phil's going to have to do for the rest of his life? Well, I, it's a great question,
1: Melissa, because I have had the benefit of seeing men who have gone through the operation being completely continent for months, if not years at a time, and then return to see me five years later with leakage again. And typically what happens is, they've forgotten to do their exercises or mostly they've actually put on a bit of weight, got pretty lazy, but just because they're older become more sedentary. So they're spending less time on their feet, including that afternoon grandpa nap that comes along and they recline and they might recline and fall asleep and le- stay there half the day and then, you know, have a glass of wine and forget to go out for a walk. So whole body health uh I think needs to include the pelvic floor for men because it certainly does for women. So further research that I did showed that if you did three sets of pelvic floor per day, at least ongoing, you would improve your erectile function in men after um, prostate cancer surgery. And also the original research done in men was done by a lady called Professor Grace Dory, who showed that three sets of pelvic floor exercises a day improved male erectile function 75% of the time. Uh, if They'd had problems other than um, the treatment for prostate cancer and, and erectile function. So, boys, if you want to get your uh, penis working properly, mm-hmm. pelvic floor. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of peas there.
0: So, is it? Are we uh, now
1: moving on to the next stage? So, I'm going to just run through um, Phil's overview very quickly. So, I saw him seven weeks pre-op. We did our Uh, first session then we follow that up with another session six weeks later because he was doing very well just to check in run through what he needed to know for the post-op situation which was basically to stop doing pelvic floor exercises while the catheter's in to keep his walking going throughout his pelvic floor exercises uh, to continue once his catheter was out and then I see patients two weeks post-operatively Phil was pretty much the perfect um, patient coming through he was only slightly leaking he was wearing pull-up pants just one per 24 hours and he had a little bit of discomfort um, in his perineum or the private parts underneath the scrotum between the anus and pelvic floor there and uh, he was noticing that if he walked he had some leakage he was up a few times during the night and uh, then we saw him a couple of weeks later just flipping through his notes here he improved quite a bit but was still a little bit tender so we just checked in and made sure he didn't have a urinary tract infection He'd returned to work. He was leaking between 4 and 13 grams per 24 hours, which is basically 4 mils to 13 mils, which is minimal. We then encouraged him to get onto much smaller pads, as he's mentioned already, the shields. By this stage, he had his PSA test. This was now eight weeks post-op. His PSA showed that the cancer was undetectable, so it was a complete recovery there on the cancer side of things. He was still noticing Guess what? With sneezes, an occasional leak, but just five gra- grams per 24 hours. Again, minimal. Um, waking up a couple of times a night. So we worked on bladder training, but we also talked about uh, moving on to these shields, which is now one. Are you wearing your shields at night, Phil?
2: No, no, nope. not now. No, okay.
1: No. And so what time of the day do you start putting your shield on?
2: I, I, when I get up in the morning to go to work, I have a shower yep. and then I put it in at that point. Okay. And, and then when I, go to, when I come home, I, I'll take it out and... Good. I'll 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 sit on the sofa or whatever around the house without the shield.
1: Yep. Good. So yeah. you are you trying not to wear your shields where you're at home? Yes, uh, even on the weekends and yeah.
2: things. Yeah. 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 So it's only really when I'm going out, when I'm going to work, or I'm going out to do something, shopping, or playing golf, or something like that.
0: So sure. yeah. what happens if you have a couple of wines or beers? Does it make a difference?
1: Um,
2: I might leak a little bit more, but to be honest, not really. Not initially, yes, but not now. Okay. Yeah.
1: Good. Okay. So my suggestion here, because you're actually due to see me on Friday, which is um, we've had a six week gap because you really were doing very well, and that's pretty much five months post prostatectomy. I I do personally like to make sure that we work with men until they're not wearing pads anymore. And uh, to me, when I meet a patient for the first time preoperatively, he's dry, he's continent, and he's potent. With full sexual function, and if he's not, then he sees Melissa prior to um, treatment. That we want to get back to the best recovery for that. So I continue working with men until they are pad free. If we can't actually get them pad free within 12 months, then they need to go back to the surgeon and maybe look into corrective surgery. That won't be Phil's case at all. And typically, this is just a little bit of a confidence thing and. I tend to find that most men literally walk out one day and they've forgotten to put their shield in. Has that happened to you? Yeah, I've done
2: that a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> I actually right. went round to my friends and we we're, were having a few drinks and I went and touched my underwear and oh, forgot to put the pad in. So what did you... I told my friend, he goes, don't think about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so I personally find that the point where you forget about it is the point where you're cured. Yeah. And you might still have like a couple of drops here and there with your sneeze, but because you've been doing such good work on your rapid training that should become an automatic process yeah. and um, i completely understand why you don't don't want to wet yourself in public or in the works No,
2: no would be rather embarrassing i mean I, I weigh my i weigh my pad in the morning and i'm yep. lo- i'm losing now at the moment i'm only losing between 1 and 2 grams
1: yeah so so we worked out that you drink 2 to 3 liters of fluid in a whole day recently so if we put 1 to 2 grams over that 2 to 3 2300 mls it's negligible but but I always say, if you're more comfortable and more confident, with that little bit of backup, that's your prerogative.
2: Yeah, and I think for me, it's it, it is that mindset, and yeah. you know, and it's obviously in my, the back of my mind. And then when the time I went out and forgot to put the pad in, I didn't even think about it, and I didn't leak, and mm-hmm. and so it is. It's, it's, when you get to my stage, I think it's all in the head.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because the psychology of all of this is massive. And I feel the role of Melissa and me is to actually kind of nurse you along the way and say, this is the experience of other guys. And we've learned from them. Clearly, Melissa and I will never go through what you guys are going to go through. But we have the benefit of working with thousands of guys who have. So um, the wonderful thing that we're doing today is sharing your experience. And uh, I just can't, you know, thank you enough. So. I'm going to almost move to Melissa now, but I've got one little
0: PS.
1: (laughs) And that is that the last um, consult that I had with Phil five weeks ago was that he said that he's experiencing a little bit of pain and a little bit of leakage with sexual activity. Now, this is um, something that I picked up a lot during my own PhD studies and it's known as arousal leakage or climacteria. So the nerves are all a bit mixed up and over the first year or so, sometimes they will cause this little bit of leakage during any sort of sexual activity. This is awfully embarrassing for most guys, and it can prevent them from wanting to engage in sexual activity. However, it does improve with time. The pelvic floor quick training, fast twitch ones actually help resolve that. we know that even in my own assessment, most men experienced it, probably 70% at the beginning, and about 5% 18 months later. So it's massively going to improve as time goes by. you also mentioned or Phil also mentioned he had had some pain uh, with orgasm and was aware of that um, with that sexual activity but only at orgasm. Do you mind if I just ask how those things are going now that we're five months post-op?
2: Um, I find the leakage, it doesn't happen all the time mm-hmm. uh, and it's only—it's not when I'm fully hard. Yep. It's, it's kind of just before. Yep. So when I've got a, a normal erection, it's, um, there's no leakage at that Good. point. Yeah, it sort of and, seals
1: and, everything, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. seems.
2: And I think that's probably what it is. It's, yeah.
1: you
0: know,
2: it's, like, it's all blocked, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm interested in your opinion yeah, on that. Yeah, so I was just going to say that, interestingly enough, I think it's really important for men and their partners to know that basically every time you had an orgasm or ejaculated in your whole entire life... There was a tiny bit of urine. It was only a couple of mils, but there was a bit there. But it was mixed in with everything else, so you didn't notice it. So I I didn't of... even
1: know that myself. That's just awesome. To so know I think
0: that. it's a really good thing. I always tell couples or guys at their first you know, that urine's sterile, it's completely harmless and it's always been there. So if you can get it in your head that you've always been doing that and that's actually not necessarily a change. And so I think early on post op a lot of guys will leak a lot of urine and that obviously is really quite disturbing. And my suggestion for that is just wear a condom. Yep. Um, and But I think definitely to know that that's always been there yeah. and, 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 and try and normalise it is, I think, really important. And if
1: couples. it's pretty bad, we actually have penile tension loops.
0: Do you mind chatting about that, Melissa? Yeah, so we also have... Um, well, I like one in particular called a stud lasso, just because I love the name. Um,
2: yes, I bought, I bought one of those from you.
0: <laughs> but they're basically just like a cable tie. And please don't use a cable tie, but they are a bit like a cable tie. Because we have had men use a cable tie. We have, with an easy release button. Um, so, yes. and But the idea of that is is you wait until you get your erection, you pop it around the base of your penis and you tighten it up. And it's like having an elastic band on a lamb's tail, really, isn't it? It's pretty... Yeah, evil. well,
2: it, it kind of... That didn't work for me because my leakage was prior, prior. prior to getting a, a, oh, an erection. Yeah. So it was like, oh, hang on, how's this going to work? The arousal like, leakage. Yeah, I've tried yeah. it on and I'll hang on, when I get a hard on and when it gets fully hard, then this thing's going to be too tight.
0: Yes. I'm, I'm not, not personally a fan of cock rings, but, you no, know, some anyway, people so are. Anyway, so
2: I've kind of given up with that.
0: Condom's best bit. Yeah. Catch and, a little bit in and
1: there. And even... Um, Emptying the bladder prior to any sexual activity and then doing 5 five ten five to ten of those quick pelvic floor exercises can help. But because the the kidneys and the, the bladder continue to p- produce urine and filter, you're always going to have something there. So yeah. it's nothing to panic about.
0: No, exactly. Mm. No, so no, I think no,
2: we should. And it's got it's got better. So.
0: So let's move on to your story of your sexual recovery, Phil, because it was very entertaining for both of us, I think. Probably more entertaining for me. and Yeah, more and
2: entertaining for you. I mean, it, I was like panicking, what the hell's going on? But,
0: entertaining but. for you in retrospect. <laughs> so when um, you have actually ended up being one of the perfect patients, you've just had a bit of a rough ride getting there. So how did you feel when you were first referred to see a sexologist? How did that, what did you think?
2: Well, I'd, I'd heard about some of the issues, potential issues. Obviously, I'd spoke to my surgeon, I spoke to my friend, and and, and the reason I chose the radical robotic prostatectomy is because of the accuracy and, and of being able to remove the prostate with minimal nerve-ending damage and quicker recovery time mm-hmm. so, and also being able to get back to work yeah. and, and I hopefully get back to a normal life as best as I can. Yeah. And so part of the process, my urologist re- referred me to Joe and then yourself after after the after the surgery, or yeah. after the catheter was re- yeah. removed. Yeah. And I'll probably talk about that later. That was probably the most single horrible thing I've ever experienced, <laughs> having a catheter. Why don't you just mention
1: that a little bit, because yeah. we can um, include yeah. that in yeah. the story, because I think that's probably what patient feedback I get. Yeah. And again, being females, we don't have any idea what it felt like for you. Oh,
2: yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> and it, not necessarily painful, but it was just uncomfortable. And having this pipe, Push down your end of, end of your
0: penis. Having use of the p words, filming. Yeah. <laughs> so was it just having it in there, or removing it was the worst, or just having it there? Having
2: it in there, and having to deal with, having to work with it for ten days, yeah, and then course. you know, get, get, getting up, going to. I mean, there was a couple of times when I forgot to close the valve, and I'd leaked on the carpet. Yeah. And and I was like, on I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'd closed it, and then i, mm-hmm. I already totally got a Little up to,
0: trail of yeah, behind you. Yeah. yeah. And so, did it? What did it feel like when they took it out? Uh,
2: uh weird. Because right. I, I could see it, I was watching the ultrasound when they put the dye trace in me, and I was just sitting there, fingers crossed, praying, please don't leak, please don't leak, mm. That i.e., the dye trace through yeah. the urethra. So I just, because the, the nurse said to me that she'd just had a guy in who was 70 and his leaked. Mm. So she sent him away for another two weeks. Oh, with the
0: catheter in, and you with, just wanted yours out. I just wanted it out. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that test
2: when they
1: put the dye in, do you drink dye? Do they no, inject they it? No, in, they inject it. They
2: put it in the valve on yeah. the, on, the, on the catheter. That's painful because they fill your bladder right up
1: right yeah
2: yeah and and she said i've got to put more in and i could see it filling up yeah and then i I was just looking at the the where the the surgeon had done you know reattached the urethra and i was just making looking making please don't leak so i just want this catheter out yeah so then she calls the doctor in and he looked no that's fine and then basically what happened at that point then obviously drained out the um, my bladder and then there's a like a ball in the end of the catheter tube, that's
0: yeah, it's the, a balloon, the balloon, yeah. The and balloon. it's got
2: and it, they fill it with water. Hmm. So she said, There's 10 mil in there, and I'll just drain 10 million. Oh, yeah, I've got 10 mil. Oh, I'll just make sure there's none left. So please make sure there's none left because yeah. <laughs> I didn't want this balloon coming <laughs>
0: through your urethra. That'd be, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, that would have been really painful, but. When it came out, it was just a funny feeling. I could just feel something being retracted yeah. from inside.
0: And was it a relief just to get no, it out no, of there? Yeah yeah,
2: yeah. yeah.
1: And did you flood afterwards? Like, how was that initial, like, walk to the loo and they say, have a, have a bit of water fill and see how mm. things are working mm-hmm. before you leave the hospital? That was fine. You had control then? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's fine. Yeah. So, you came to see me the first time at five weeks post-op and um, you were doing okay, I said. You were losing 20 to 30 mils a day, and you was pretty dry at night time as well. Pre-op, you had had really good erections, you told me, but every now and then, if you wanted a bit of extra fun, you used some Viagra with no side effects. Is that
2: yeah. true? Yeah, like half a tablet.
0: Half a tablet? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I hear a lot of patients tell me they just use that just in the case. They don't really need it, but they just use it Recreational for a extra. Use. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Um so then, at the first appointment, I talked to you about penile rehab. And what did I do for you? What did you go home doing? Well,
2: oh, I'm trying to remember this because it's not the proper part of my memory. I've I've tried to block out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so did you feel awkward coming in to see a woman about your sexuality, or was that okay? No, it was fine.
2: Okay. Yeah, okay. I wasn't embarrassed about that at all. But yeah. uh, I just really wanted to understand what was going to happen and what was going and how I was going to feel and how I was going to get back on back yeah. to where I was um, pre-op. And so we talked about, um, I'm trying to remember what happened at that first so meeting. So the
0: first meeting, I'll get. I'll refresh your memory. The first meeting, I would have told you what to expect, which is that it can take up to two years for you to get your function yep. back. And I would have showed you a penis pump.
2: Yes, you did, yeah. <laughs> Thank God I've not had to go and buy one of those.
0: <laughs> um, but fortunately for you, you were doing amazing and you didn't need a penis pump because you were already able to get semi-erections just on your own. Yeah. This was... Five weeks, five post weeks op. post-op. Yeah. And so just tell me, what was your understanding of why you would need, may need to use a penis pump and why you didn't?
2: Um, I think was, well, how you explained it to me, it was about the blood flow yeah. and the nerve endings that stimulate blood flow into the penis. And obviously with the prostate being removed, it damage, can damage those nerve endings. Mm-hmm. And some don't come back. And and it's one of the reasons like I said, which the reason I chose that form of surgery. yeah, Because I, I didn't want to have a long recovery time. Yeah. I've talked to older guys who'd had the... Old method of the, the open, yeah, yeah, and it's only
1: pretty horrendous, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to a go longer cathode time, too, yeah. yeah, double, yeah.
0: So we didn't need to start you on it. So, normally, the main thing I'm telling guys at this stage is is a case of if you don't use it, you lose it. Because in your normal day to day life, during a week while you're sleeping, you'd be getting 20 to 30 erections a week, which is your body's way of taking your penis to the gym. Yeah. So I think if you weren't, but you were getting semi-engorgement, which is good because you know, your penis was already getting some exercise and we got you started to take a very low dose of a medicine called Tadalafil. Yep. Um, and so that was great. So you were taking that and that was just giving you extra blood flow and extra stuff pumping through. But you couldn't get a full erection, could you? But had no. you had an orgasm already by that stage? Yes.
2: And I didn't know you could have an orgasm with not without a full
0: erection exactly I wasn't aware of that <laughs> and I um, find this all the time like I will quite me too often... me too guys
1: are so impressed I've even had like Italian older men scream it out on the building site hey boys I can I can have an orgasm without my penis no. being pumped up and the younger guys just running in the corners exactly yeah. because people just don't realize yeah. because in
0: the past you've always played with your penis it's got hard and then you have an orgasm and yeah. so what did your first orgasm feel like afterwards did it feel the same better worse
2: it just felt the same except there was no ejaculate, ejaculate. no yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah so i think maybe for some girls that's good <laughs> yeah. yeah there's no wet spot
0: so were you shocked that the orgasm felt the same
2: no i i Because my friend, he'd gone through the same thing, and he said to me, I mean, his comments were, you get the same feelings, just no milk.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No (laughs) milk. No milk. That's what my
2: friend told me. Oh, that's so funny. that's good. So, and then when it happened to me, I was like, yeah, it's exactly like he said.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, Phil, um, you're single. So, obviously, getting back to having good erectile function was a priority, I suppose, because down the track, you were hoping to have another relationship. Yep. Um, and so we, I explained to you at the time that it was going to probably be quite some months before tablets would work, so any of the Viagra, Spedras, or Cialis would work. So I gave you, talked to you about the option of needles. What did you think when I first told you about those? No way is anyone putting a needle in my penis. And then what did we do about half an hour later? We did that. (laughs) (laughs) And, And how did it feel when you had the first needle? Oh, it was, it was. The way
2: you use the applicator, it's more like an EpiPen, so it's a quick shot jab because mm-hmm. and and I'm, I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to do this And when I get home? But th- that, that process was fairly easy. Yeah. Um,
0: so just for those of you listening, we um, I teach people to inject using an auto-injector. So you're not actually – you're probably visualising now a needle going into the shaft of your penis, but it's not. It's using an auto-injector, and it actually doesn't hurt as much. It Actually, you hardly feel anything, so I'm told. I don't have a penis, so I haven't experienced it.
2: short shot of pain it's a bit like when the needle goes in when you're taking blood yeah but but it's probably not 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 as long during because that's done and it's a little bit longer whereas with the auto injector it's quick
0: yeah Yeah. okay and so it's obviously worth it because you get an erection at the end of it yeah you do so tell (laughs) us about your first erection that you had from that first test dose
2: right well i had been to see yourself so we'd injected and you showed me how to do it and then i said right well go away now and so you gave me some, uh, you gave me a prescription to go and get some Tadafil and other things, and yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I went to the chemist, got all of those, and then what, probably about half an hour later, I started to get an erection, and it was it was starting to build up anyway before mm-hmm. that, um, but what I didn't expect was it to last fourteen hours.
1: Yes. So, <laughs> can I just ask one quick question? Yes. Was that painful? because because I've had lots of guys say to me they because they haven't had a normal full erection for five to six weeks and then they do the injection as the tissue stretches it hasn't been stretched for five or six weeks is that was that painful in your recollection not anyway for me, no no, no. Not, not, but the longer the time between delaying that it's going to be painful isn't it yes so
0: yeah. I just for the audience I um, this is a very rare a priaprism is rare however it does happen and if it is going to happen it's usually with younger guys. And it's very difficult to judge your first dose purely because you can't see how many nerves the person has spared. And so I did, because Phil could already get semi-erections, I gave him an extremely small dose and he is just... (laughs) So she tells me. The (laughs) perfect patient. Very virulent and reacted very well. So you gave me a call a few hours later, didn't you? you
2: Uh, I did. I was panicking and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And you had said if it doesn't go down after two hours, take two Sudafed. And you did. Which I did. Nothing happened. So I left it a little bit longer and then and then I decided mess, to message you. Um.
0: So in my um, notes here, you took another two and then it did go down. It went down to a six and I thought we were home and home. When you say and, six, what oh, do you sorry, mean? Sorry, so it was a 10 out of 10 being a full erection and it's okay if it stays up longer than two hours as a semi, but just not a full erection cause it's not getting any blood flow. So it went down to a semi and then mirac- a few hours later you called me and it had gone up again, so... Off we went to the clinic.
2: Yes, so middle of the night. um, I I mean, I'd had a couple of glasses of wine, so I couldn't even drive. So I got an Uber (laughs) to the clinic in in Frio. And uh, yeah, the next bit was uh, a bit painful.
0: (laughs) So yeah, so then um, I don't want to scare anyone off injections and say that this really does happen rarely. And then we we had to aspirate or drain the blood out of the penis, which was... um, yeah. Not the best op- option for you, wasn't in the middle of the night.
2: No, no, that that was, you know, imagine you, you Melissa drained out a certain amount of blood and then wrap, wrapping the penis in a bandage to stop it coming back in, and I had to do that four times and drained mm-hmm. half a liter of blood
1: out of me. What four
0: times? Four times because is that I unusual? Drained yeah, very unusual. Usually it's just once or twice, but um it was four times. It was blood was just pumping in, so we drained it and then. Wrapped him up in a bandage so he looked like a mummy. And Put him then, in a taxi and yeah, sent him Where well, <laughs> no, We did it again and say four times. And then, well, then that was interesting because COVID was on. We couldn't get a taxi so I had to take you home as well. Yeah, you drove, <laughs> you drove me home. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
2: and, um, and I was a bit black and blue for a few yeah. days. And then how
0: long did it take for the bruising to go?
2: completely about two weeks yeah, yeah. that's
0: right and then I, I remember you telling me at the when i spoke to you yeah. afterwards that you just had a great time entertaining your mates at work with this story oh
2: well i was walking around like john wayne i've been on a horse for a week <laughs> oh, wow. um, my, i was pretty sore
0: blue balls <laughs> so yeah. after that we reduced the dose a lot didn't
2: you we? i think you cut it down by another two thirds i did and yeah. then
0: you did okay you had a few that were good that... i
2: tried it a couple of times and it was fine and then would you believe it it happened again.
0: Mm, so, yes, it happened again. Yeah,
2: so, so I had two... The successf- happened again. Yeah. so I had two successful ones where there was no issues. It came up, went down, and then I had the prior prism again on the probably the fourth, to, fourth go with wow. the
0: So yeah. Wow. So um, the reason that would have happened, I think, is because the nerves heal at different rates and obviously you are an amazing healer i mean here you are five months post-op and you don't need anything now except tablets to get your erections back so we reduced the dose it worked really well for a couple of times then by the third time you had some miraculous healing Mm, and all that
1: pelvic floor training that he was doing and (laughs) And the surgical work we've got to put that in
0: (laughs) and that tiny amount that you were still having then just created that. So then we had another trip to the clinic and we did a deja vu all yeah, over again. Kind of then, was this in the middle had, of the night again? Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh well, gosh. I, hadn't,
2: I hadn't been drinking so I drove myself the, to, to the clinic and I'm, I think, please don't get stopped by the police because I've been trying to explain why I've uh, <laughs> an erection. <laughs> but uh, so we get there again and it was just like... It
0: was much easier that time. Yeah, it was a lot easier. We I responded I think, a lot quicker. I think so it
2: was twice, I think. Yeah, yeah, it
0: was much quicker and much easier that time. And um, so tell me about your sexual function now. What's happening now? Five months down the track, this is amazing, I think. You've done amazingly Yeah, hard. so
2: I've given up with the injections. So if anyone wants any uh, injections, <laughs> needles and, and medication. They're, they're not going to want to after this story. No, they probably won't. <laughs> just for
0: all the listeners, listen again next time because we'll give you some good stories. But yes. yeah.
2: <laughs> So um, I'm now just taking one, one Tadafil a day. Yeah. a day Jalafidil
1: um, is the same or Tadalafil it's the
0: same as Cialis exactly the so yeah. same as Cialis yeah. Yeah, it's the generic name of Cialis
2: Yeah. so I'm, I'm still taking one of those a day uh, and, uh, and occasionally I'll try one of the Viagra or yeah. something just to see how things go but I'm pretty much getting a normal erection on your own on my own
0: great yeah. yeah that's good and then finally were you worried about the fact that you weren't going to be fertile anymore after the surgery
2: no because no. I'd already had um, vasectomy uh, ten years ago, yeah. so I've got I've got older kids. I, I wasn't I wasn't worried about that. So and that's one of the other ch- reasons I chose to go for the the surgery instead of um, radiotherapy. Because mm-hmm. so I spoke to the, my urologist and said, look, it's not necessarily targeted, and if it doesn't go away, then I'll have to come back to remove it at a later date. though potentially other complications. Uh, and, and leaving some of the prostate behind potentially. Yeah. So I didn't want to take any risks. To be and honest. how
0: do you feel now about getting back to a normal life? Like, do you feel like confident again to date again and do all your regular things that you did before?
2: Yeah. Look, the embarrassing thing is to, to explain to somebody that n- doesn't know you that mm-hmm. what you've been through, and so I've kind of avoided dating. Yeah. Uh, until I'm no, back at the point where I am now. Yeah. Um,
0: and does it feel like you could do that now?
2: Yes. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Good. And looking forward, like, how are you feeling about your future and how do you feel about the decisions you made to go down this path?
2: Oh, look, I, I think I was extremely fortunate to catch it when I did. Yeah. And when they actually took the prostate out and, and dissected it and, did, and carried out the biopsy on my prostate, at that point it was 40% cancerous.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: It's always, about 70%, 80% of the time, there's always more cancer from what they predict yeah. Yeah. afterwards because they only get sampling in the biopsy, so... The sam-
2: yeah, and the, at that point they picked, it picked up three... um cancerous cells and about 10% of the prostate but Mm. obviously the biopsy afterwards yeah the the whole
1: prostate the whole
2: prostate and it's 40% I'm just thinking I'm so grateful I chose Mm. that the route I chose
0: and physically do you feel like how what percentage of back to normal do you feel now five months post um
2: I still got a bit of pain in my belly occasionally from where the surgery happened Mm -hmm. but the wounds have healed up really really well
1: and does that pain, I was actually going to ask that, does that pain come on with physical activity or is it if you're just sitting there? Because sometimes I think it's the nerve repairing a little no, bit. it's
2: funny. I went to the driving range yesterday and I, I, I was hit, hit 100 balls and then when I got home I felt a bit sore. Mm. But so that's twisting my abdomen. Yeah. So.
1: so just to add in, uh, four weeks after surgery, I actually do a whole lot of core and uh, pelvic floor combination strengthening, sort of a Pilates approach in a way, just to try and build up the um, pelvic floor and uh, core co-contraction really so that guys do have an opportunity to prevent things like pain or herniation so the the physical um is really important for guys to get back to and you're play, back playing um golf and walking doing yep. all the things you normally do yeah yeah, yeah i
2: back pretty much back back to where i was yeah. okay good
1: So sorry. Oh, sorry sorry and i was just gonna mm-hmm. say uh, just as a follow up um to melissa's question about feeling positive about your future um i just want to touch base the pain with the uh erectile function the ejaculation how's that been but
2: there's still a oh, it's a strange thing it's obviously the nerve endings yep. and, and as, as you're getting an erection and, it, and there's a little bit of pain there it's not uncomfortable i can just okay. i can feel it
0: Good. but so it does like, but it
2: doesn't stay there it yeah. doesn't mm. last
0: and it usually does settle down like you'll probably find by the time you're 12 months post that'll settle i like try and think of those nerves like a frayed cord on a kettle and you imagine they're kind of sparking yeah and and that's probably what you're feeling now but as someone will come along and wrap some electrical tape around it it'll all feel normal again hopefully down the track yeah
2: like i said it's not painful painful yeah. you know it's not unbearable but i can feel it
0: yeah well i've just sort of
1: another p word because i say this all the time and that's called the phantom leak but i think we should also call it the phantom pain because i've have seen in many patients that they feel like they leak they're not doing anything physical that might, like a cough or a sneeze, bring it on. And they're generally between two and six months post-op and they're actually getting this sensation of leakage and warmth and they check their undies or their pads and they have not leaked. So I call it the phantom leak as that same thing Melissa's talking about with the connection of the nerves and the fraying messages get mixed up temporarily. But yeah, the, the pain and the nerve ending recovery, sexual function, and even just arresting situation it's it's pretty normal uh, up for 12 months
0: i i think so
2: yeah i mean i'm five months down and i'm really happy with my progress
0: yeah yeah you should be you've been amazing so you were the perfect patient for joe you were a little bit painful for me (laughs) very painful for me but we've we've got there in the end and you've now got amazing function back so thank you so much for coming today and talking to us and being so frank it's my pleasure um, we really appreciate it because the question that Joe and I always asked is, do we have anyone else that is like them? And I just think it's great for other men to be able to hear real-life stories of what people have been through and know that it might be a little bit crappy along the way, but in the yeah. end, you're going but to get
2: there. Th- uh, yeah, And a lot of things are in your head, and you've got to have a positive mindset. Yeah, And and I've tried to maintain that yeah. throughout.
0: No, no, so. well, you have. You've been amazing. Yeah, and
1: I'd just like to throw in a little bit in. So for me, as a physiotherapist in America, I'd be called a physical therapist. For me, I say, Phil, I'm just going to give you the tools to fix yourself. But we know that exercise is really important because you guys are all used to doing activities. So one of the things we want to do is encourage from this whole prostate cancer experience a better second half of your life. So positive growth theory is something, but that exercise component, maybe making time for yourself and just maybe having a little bit more of a life work balance uh, is something that I encourage you to think about continue with, and I, I think most men have that journey. What would yeah, you say? Got, in it, that?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it certainly made me think there is more to life than work, and mm. that I'm in the second half of my my life. If, if hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> and look, I mean, I came, out, I got a zero PSA, and I've got another ch- another test in two weeks' time. So I've got, to, I've got to go through that every six months now.
1: Yeah, but and then once it's clear for three years, they say, go back to normal once a yeah. year. Yeah. yeah,
2: Yeah. so, yeah, it's kind of made me think about a few things, yeah. and certainly about um, the work-life balance as well.
0: Great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you.
2: I'm going to tell you about a boy who
1: lives inside me it has been there all of my life. Dr. Joe here. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We aim to release one podcast per fortnight, so please keep in touch so you know when new podcasts are being released. Also, be sure to check out the show notes below so that we can all keep the conversation going. And birds. Smoke and bark in a cubby up a tree. Try to ignore the fading of the light